urban and Māori. They had left everything that they knew, so they were stuck in these cities. Today, 85% of us live in urban places. Something about Wellington draws me in. I am a city girl. They had to go to the city because they were shifted there. In this concrete jungle, in the urban sprawl, what is it that keeps us grounded? My tupuna have been thriving here for many generations. I'm Māori wherever I go. My name is Kahukutia and this is He Kākanoa Hau weaving together strands of connection for Māori in the city. What is it that makes a person Māori? I know it's not how much te reo you speak, or the colour of your skin, or how often you visit your marae. My pakeke have always told me that your whakapapa is the most important part of your identity. A quarter, an eighth, a sixty-fourth, your whakapapa is yours for your whole life, and no one can take that away from you. When Māori moved to the city for the first time, we saw whole generations of our people who were cut off from that generational knowledge of who they are, and not always by choice. It's been such a privilege to be a part of every story that we've told so far, and I'm really excited for this last one. We're packing up our van and heading on the road. Episode 6 is a journey of reconnection. Out of Geneva, are you there? Kia ora. Finally got round to a phone call. Sorry about mixing no, up no, the no. times. We live in different cities. I'm just proud of the fact that we made it. Yes. <laughs> this is Geneva Alexander Masters. I first heard of her through her band Soccer Practice. They do this witchy, electronic pop kind of thing with Teddy or Melodies woven in. It's pretty much the kind of music I never knew I so badly needed. Geneva's a kohanga reo kid. She grew up in a te reo-speaking household with her Pākehā mother, but she's never visited the small town of Wairua where her whakapapa lies. She's never been to her marae, and actually she doesn't know much about her whānau's history at all. Geneva has always wanted to go on a whakapapa journey before she turns 30, which is only a couple months away. I've spent enough time wondering about it, so it's probably a good time to just do it now. She agreed to let us come along for this journey with her. Are we recording now? Yeah. So basically just wanted to call in and kind of check up in terms of how things are kind of shaping up. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up not really having a pepeha mm. just because my father didn't really know it. He learned it when I was in primary school, but um, he wrote it down on this piece of paper and like I think I lost it. And it was just kind of very confusing. And no one ever really talked about my grandmother. So I didn't actually quite know her name. I knew more about my whakapapa to Rarotonga, to Palmerston Island in Aitutaki, through my grandfather, who came from there. Her grandfather is a master's, which is a really well-known name from the Cook Islands. And married my grandmother. Pretty much all she knows about her kuia is that she was from a small town on the east coast of Tika Amawi, called Wairua. She was very much part of that part of the world, and I know nothing of it. After Geneva's kuia died, her children, including Geneva's dad, Daniel, were taken from the whānau and raised by the state. Daniel was only about 10 at the time, and after that, he grew up in boys' homes around the country. This is a big part of why Geneva grew up, knowing very little about her taha Māori. If you want to talk about a systematic disenfranchisement of Indigenous peoples, they're part of that stolen generation. 
The only two family members Geneva knows of in the Wairua area are lying in an urupa, and Geneva isn't even sure where that is. So there's my kuya, my uncle, who are there somewhere, and I've always wanted to go and visit their graves and pay my respects. I mean, That's why I need like a team of journalists <laughs> to help me research this and get me there. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to do it by myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, well, akamuhi kia koe, Geneva. Is there anything else, like, kind of that you would need or in terms of support or...? I just really need to sit down with it mm-hmm. and figure it out because it is a very sensitive subject. Even though I'm pretty tough, <laughs> it is quite an intense thing to go through. So I'll let you know. Hopefully I'll meet you in person in Auckland in a few (laughs) weeks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we're somewhere at the back of Greylin, in a place I've never been before. Tomorrow's the big day where we're going to fly down to Napier and head to Wairoa. We're about to go and meet Geneva and see how she's feeling. Welcome! Hello! Hi! Hi. 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 So this is my mum's house. Every room is a different colour. Deal with it. (laughs) I grew up in a rainbow. Geneva makes us a cup of tea. Her whare is warm and filled with artwork and books. My favourite thing about the lounge is the shelf filled with five different kinds of water pistols and Nerf guns. We do a bit of tanga, but it doesn't take us long to get down to the nitty-gritty of the kaupapa in front of us. I'm a 21st century gal and I've got all the information on my phone, so... Sorry, I put a lot of things in here, like song lyrics. In the time since our phone call, she's formulated a pretty clear idea of where we're going and who's coming with us. Okay, so the main objective is get on the plane, find my dad, who will be flying up from Wellington. He's not very good with time and space, but he certainly is amazing to hang out with, so we need him. And he's really excited about coming, and I've drilled it into him to make sure that he gets on the flight. Uh, my brother's coming uh, as well. He's We don't share the same father, but he kind of has like a tour kind of relationship with my father. Geneva's brother is 16 years older than her. They didn't grow up together. Johnny was raised by Geneva's maternal grandparents. He's Pākehā, and looking at them on the street, you'd never assume that they had the same mother. His name's Johnny Five. Oh, yeah. cool name. Yeah, first name Johnny, last name Five. So yeah, Daniel Masters and Johnny Five on the road with you guys. We're going to be driving from Napier to Wairua. It takes about two and a half hours from Google Maps. Um, I know where the marae is, but I haven't been in touch with them. Geneva's been busy collecting whatever information she can from all kinds of sources, from Fano to Google. Googling Fano history is something I've done before without any real success. Unless you know specifics, it can just get more and more confusing. Called Waipoa Te Marae. Waipoa was actually misspelt as Waipoa, um, which is a marae up north. So suddenly I was taken from the east coast right up the motu to, to Ngāpuhi. And I was like, am I Ngāpuhi? Because that would really be quite helpful. I grew up around Ngāpuhi this whole time. So yeah, I found out that Waipoa Marae had burnt down 
and that it doesn't exist anymore. You can't look it up. That's not much to go on, but Geneva has found out one important piece of the puzzle. She knows the name of her grandmother and went to visit her grave. My grandmother's name is Madge Hedda Toy Roa Hatley Masters, and oh, the Urupa is called Pa Kofai. Yeah, that's where we're going to. Every single time I found out more information, I have been given more questions. And it's really more to do with just being there and figuring out if, if we can actually tie up any loose ends or not. My grandmother died at a very young age after having quite a lot of children, nine children, two husbands, smoked two packs a day, apparently. She was lovely. But um, that knowledge of a mother is so sacred, it's a tapu thing, and to have someone being taken away and leaving behind all these children who had no connection to that side mm. um, is quite a, a tragedy, but it is, yeah, it is something that has happened to a lot of people. Young death and then absolute disconnection and then urbanisation. That is the story of my family, essentially, is um, they had to go to the city because they just were shifted there. On this whakapapa journey back to Wairua, Geneva will be bringing her own tikanga. I have this hunk of obsidian that I want to put on the grave. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you. I'll show Ooh. you. So I've wrapped it up. She shows me a piece of obsidian that she bought at a market in Auckland. It's kind of like her own offering to her queer. Yeah, I believe in the force of nature and I believe that there are certain things that hold like a particular wairua. And this um, Mexican obsidian is grounding, healing and protecting. I thought that due to the nature of the severed ties of my family that they might need something that's a bit healing. So after a pretty long day, I'm feeling quite tired. I head home to get some rest because we've got to be up before dawn the next day. So we've all landed in Napier now. It's a real beautiful day today actually. I thought it was going to rain this whole time. We've met up with Daniel Kelda. Kelda. Johnny, how are you feeling? Awesome. Yeah, I'm just going into it with an open mind and just going to see what happens. Going to see what happens. As we drive, I start to get a good picture of what the relationship is like between Geneva, Johnny and Daniel. Geneva and Johnny are clearly really close as siblings and I can tell that they have each other's backs. Her father, Daniel, is quieter, but he still makes a huge impression in his slick black cowboy boots, denim jeans and a black leather jacket. Daniel seems to have a habit of making big first impressions. Johnny tells me about the first time he ever met him. I've been put on the bus by my grandparents, I was raised by my grandparents, and I was headed up to Auckland to um, spend the weekend with my mother. And there she was waiting for me, and there was this guy, this Māori guy there, and he was dressed like some sort of acid cowboy. And I remember looking out the window thinking, who's that with her? But within probably half an hour, he was my best friend. A friend told me that if I'm ever in Wairua, I have to go to Osler's Bakery and get the boil-up pie. When we arrive, 
we go looking for this famous bakery. It's the only place in town that looks busy, and we're lucky enough to get the last pie in the shop, so we sit down by the river to share it. Everyone rates the pie, especially Daniel. It's fat and the greens. Yeah, it looks like boil up out of a pot. I asked if I should have ketchup with it, and the woman behind the counter told me that she was used to real boil up, and she doesn't usually have ketchup with her boil up. Wow. So I took that as don't do that. It feels really good to share this tiny pie together, ahakoa te iti. It grounds us here in Wairua and gives us an opportunity to think about where we are in this new place. launching in. I have a very big mouth, so... Next, we oh, head yeah, down the road to find the motel. This isn't a busy town, and I think there's only about 4,000 people here. Most of them have jobs in either agriculture, forestry, or fishing. There's a bunch of older-looking houses here, and almost every backyard has a tree that's chock-a-full with either lemons or oranges. At the hotel, the milk comes in a little glass bottle. So we make a cup of tea, and we settle into the lounge for a corridor. Did you two want to hold the mic so I can just... Oh, yeah. So we know that Daniel's mother is from Wairua and that his father is from the Cook Islands. Daniel tells us that he was born in Auckland and spent most of his early childhood there. Occasionally, though, they would come back to Wairua on trips with his mother. As Daniel was talking to us, it's clear this is the first time that Geneva has heard her father talk about these things. So I don't know that much about Dad's early childhood, so... That's quite mysterious, only because it, it seemed like you moved around quite a lot after your mother died. So, yeah, it got a bit confusing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's and all kind down. Of, yeah, painful to recount for you, I think. Yeah, but I had to go through, it's this confidential listening and assistance panel. This panel was set up to hear experiences of state care abuse. On the back of the many traumatic stories that came out of that, the Royal Commission of Inquiry was announced by a Labour-led government in February 2018. Daniel mentions that it was going through this process that made him want to look further into his whakapapa. I got my files, I read in black and white, wow, I didn't know things were so dysfunctional. In those files, Daniel found a whole lot of information that he had no real memory of. Because as a kid you just want to see everything's okay, but things weren't very okay and then we ended up in state ward... I was just lost. I didn't know anything about Almarai and stuff. How many times have you been back here in your life? Only once. Um, it was my half-sister's 50th birthday in 2009. Then I saw the marae and got to visit my mum's grave. Daniel, when someone asks you where's home, what's the first place you say, what's the second, what's the third? Usually if it's a Māori person asking, I say wairo because they'll jump on it straight away. If it's a Cook Island person asking me, I say aitutaki because that's where my dad's from. But then if it's just a normal European Pākehā, I'll just say, oh, uh, Auckland, even though I live in Wellington. What about you, Geneva? Greyland! (laughs) (laughs) So in the city... What did it mean for you to be Māori? Mm. It's a hard question to answer because you're always between both. Yeah, so it's the you're, same old thing. You're like, yeah, you're like navigating both at the same time. You're thinking in both ways at the same time. And so one side sees you browner and the other side sees you 
as being either lost or white. For someone who grew up disconnected from his Māoritanga, Daniel's got a pretty incredible general knowledge of the kōrero of different iwi. It's information he's collected from other haerenga over the course of his whole life. Oh, just usually meeting people, and mostly Māori people, and then they work at the city, urban Māori, they work, and as soon as there's a birthday, they all jump in the car, grab the blankets, boom, you know, they're, they're off. I used to go along with them to... Taniatua and uh, Ruatuki, they sort of adopted me and took me to their marae and that's how I got to see a lot of the Māori world was just uh, through friends. They sort of whangaid me, it even happened up north. They just, oh yeah, you're lonely, come here. <laughs> it's getting late and probably time for us all to go to bed. But before we do, this is a lot to process. How's Geneva feeling about it all? Well, at this stage it's already a success because the living have managed to reconnect with each other in this place. We've driven, you know, for an hour and a half, we've flown in a plane, like we've managed to get here. But um, tomorrow it's going to be about the dead, I guess, and visiting the people who, who have passed away because, yeah, the only person who's ever known me who rests in this area is dead, Tai Tai. We all want to see him. And so your uncle and your queer are buried together, right, in the Surupa? Aye. Parkour fly, mm. apparently. Oh yeah, we're just going to go see Tai Tai and Madge. Sunday morning, we're up and ready to go by 9am. It's not early enough to make the trip seem like a really big deal, and it's not late enough that anyone's going to get nervous. Geneva and Ufano, they seem pretty relaxed as we leave Wairua and head towards Fraser where we know her kuia is buried. I know this road as the one that leads me straight home to Duatahuna. I reckon I just saw someone with like a whole handful of watercress. Get it. I've been informing the cousins on Messenger, I love the 21st century, <laughs> telling them about everything and asking them if they know anything and they don't. So. There's the sign, we're in Fraser Town. Yeah, we're in Fraser Town, boom. So we go past a pub and then down the road and that's where Grandma is. What are you remembering here now that we're driving through Fraser Town, Daniel? I just, um, when I was a kid, I think it was about nearly 11 when my mum died and it was sort of like... uh, the saddest day and the most devastating uh, day of my life but then I couldn't really grieve so I ended up just holding it in and stuff so it was really hard (laughs) well yeah I I don't really have any memories of this place so it's you know it's painful to hear that Um, oh yeah All right, so um, I guess we're just going to go in and say hello and um, visit the grave, and then I guess we'll give you some thoughts afterwards. Can you please say a karakia? I can. Uh, I'll just say a real simple one. 
Good luck. Thanks. Got my obsidian. I'm gonna bring my camera. We're parked on the road next to the Marae. Daniel, Johnny and Geneva get out of the car and walk across the road to where the Urupa sits on the other side. This is very much a rural area. There's lots of non-native looking trees, there's cows and paddocks, and there's a river that flows through to the centre of Fraser Watching them as they finally open the gate and start searching for Geneva's queer among the headstones, I can't help but feel an emotion that might be pride, might be awe, might be a little anxiety. There's no queer here to karanga them in, to show them how to stand. Reweaving the knowledge of your whakapapa can be so traumatic, and for Daniel it's clear that this has been such a hard journey already. And yet despite hundreds of years of colonial forces that tried so hard to disconnect us from our identity, here they are. We're sitting back in the car again, and you guys have just come back. I just wonder if you could reflect a bit on how you're feeling and what what you've just done. Yeah, I guess I'm the type of person who likes to make goals and like achieve things. So like, I feel like quite triumphant, even though I've just visited a graveyard, which is like <laughs> quite a morbid thing to do. But um, I've had like a lot more clarity in terms of what my whanau looks like and what my descendants look like and what this area feels like because part of not knowing your pepeha or not actually being there is not knowing what the area feels like so yeah I, I have an impression now and I've got a memory and that's good but it is inherently sad kind of made me think, rethink about the whole thing about getting cremated, to be honest. Yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that there's somewhere that you can revisit because the information regarding our family is quite sparse and there is actually like a physical site, there's an evidence of life that, or a life that existed. Just being here is a huge step for Geneva, but she does still have a lot of mixed feelings about it all. It is grounding, but it's also a can of worms because you don't get all the answers. There isn't an, a kuya with all the knowledge. Yeah, sadly our kuya is, is no longer with us, so that's part of the reason why we're here is because that's the disconnect, that's the information that was lost, and we're here to pick up the pieces. And to a certain degree, like, that gives me a fair amount of rage, but also there's nothing I could do about it. So mm. so it's about letting that go as well and trying to move on and coming up with, like, positive solutions because, I'm, yeah, I'm sick of being angry. 
driven for hours and we've kind of just turned up here in the hope that answers will appear out of nowhere. What we did find was where her kuia and Uncle Tai Tai are buried. That's huge. That's a place that Geneva will be able to return to for the rest of her life. But there are still some questions that remain unanswered. Who's still alive? That's my main question. Like, who am I related to and where are they? Um, Because once you know the name of your family and once you know the name of your marae, it can actually open up doors to meeting your whānau. So that's that's what I feel like I've gained from this. And for you, Daniel, any questions? Uh, not really. It was just wonderful to bring Geneva, and yeah, it was just like a release of just like, oh man, every time we planned to come here, something would come up, or it never worked out. But it was great to get this opportunity to come, and thanks. It's been a really emotionally intense journey. And by this point, we're all feeling a bit tired. We head back to the river by Osla's bakery, where we shared that kai on our first day here. Geneva's going to say her pepeha for the first time. Are we ready? We're ready. Ko whakapunake te maunga, ko hangaroa te awa. Ko whakapunake te maunga, ko hangaroa te awa. Ko waikare moana te roto, ko horauta te waka. Ko Ngāti Ruapani Rawa, ko Ngāti Kahungunu ki wairoa te iwi, ko Ngāti Hinganga te hapu, ko Waipoa te marae, ko Tiger Thompson te tuhi oku mātua tipuna, ko Madge Hera Toiroa Hatley Masters toku kuia. It's now been a couple of months since that journey. Geneva's returned to Auckland, and I am back in Wellington. She's had a bit more time to reflect on everything that happened. Kia ora, Geneva speaking. Morena, Geneva, it's Kahu. Kahu. I want to know if she feels tau. Does she have more questions, or has she got a new perspective that she didn't have before? I've been reflecting on it a bit, because my father was talking about his upbringing and um, how rough it was. When I visited the Urupa, that always ran through my mind is is how rough their lives were after Mm. or during their childhood. Mm. And so seeing all those names and seeing all those people there, it it kind of placed like a face to these stories that I heard, Mm. which was quite sad, quite mamai. Yeah, there's like a lot of hurt and pain there that I never experienced, but also I, I could sense was quite overwhelming for Danny. I do feel enriched by the whenua. I do feel like it is different when you're from a place and you you can see kind of what your tipuna saw there. But in terms of like my identity, I, I feel strengthened by it, but I, I've always remained who I am. We're urban modern in the city, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like lost or whatever, you know, like... Well, when that knowledge has been taken away from you, you make do with what you have. What's um? What's the next step for you? So um, I think there's a lot of opportunities for me to go back, and I don't necessarily feel so overwhelmed. Mm. <laughs> I guess I've, I've got my bearings. Something that always amazes me is the way that Wairua is able to tie everything together and bring us back to our origins. Before we ever decided to go on this journey with Geneva... 
we got in touch with her to see if she wanted to make music for this podcast. The song she wrote, Rito, wraps up the whole kaupapa beautifully. So tapahia ite rito is like to cut the rito of the harakike plant, which is what you're not supposed to do because the rito is right in the center and you look at the plant as being like a family. So the middle is the baby, the two outer ones are the parents, and then the ones on the outside are the grandparents and then on and on and on. And so you cut the outer leaves so that the rest keeps growing. You know, when you're disconnected from your whenua, from your culture, that is referred to as cutting the rito because the baby can't grow and so the plant dies. Similar to what happened during the period of erasure where a lot of people lost their culture. They lost their understanding of, of whakapapa and tikanga. Being part of the generation who benefited from the Māori Renaissance and went to kōhanga reo and had an education. The younger generation needs to stand up. Rangatahi can support this kaupapa of continuation, continuing on and building more. It may look different, it may feel different to what's traditionally considered tika, but I know for a fact that there is a future. Man, it's such a special and tapu thing to step foot on your whenua for the first time. Thank you so much to Geneva, Johnny and Daniel for letting us come on that journey with them. Aroha nui rawa atu ki a koe Geneva. Nō ku te wai marie ki te tautoko i tēnei kaupapa nāu. It's true that some Māori in the city are disconnected from their culture, but there are also many who aren't. We entered this kaupapa hoping to trace connections between ourselves and plant seeds of origin. There were so many things that I had no idea I would be doing when I came into this journey, that a marae close to my heart would fall into flames, that I would find myself amongst thousands in an indigenous resistance movement. I think of early settlers, Dr Isaac Featherston, who in 1856 believed it was his job to smooth the pillow of the dying race of Māori. It was expected that one day we would not be. The influence of colonisation is hard and painful, but on this journey, as I've talked to all these people and heard all these stories, I see the seeds that were planted by our ancestors. I shall never be lost. I am a seed born of greatness. E kore au e naro, he kākano iruia mai i rangiatea. I am so proud and so privileged to be Māori. He kākano ahau is written, researched and hosted by me, Kahukutia. Produced by Francis Morton. Melody Thomas is editor and production and script consultant. The theme user Grito is composed and performed by Geneva Alexander Masters. Additional music by Marati K, Electric Wire Hustle and Asia. 
Production assistant, Elena Martinez. Accounts manager, Alison Pierce. Mark Chesterman is the series engineer. Ursula Grace is the executive producer. Nā mihi to RNZ Commissioner Kay Almers and RNZ Kurahotu Māori Shannon Honui Thompson. Finally, a huge mihi to everyone who's shared their kōrero with us throughout this series. Parisa Nyasi, Kiwakahu Kura Denton, Kayla Rian, Ariki Brightwell, Nanimu Blair, Hannah Maihi, Panya Newton, Geneva Alexander Masters, Daniel Masters and Johnny Five. Archival sound recording in the series is from the RNZ collection at Nga Taonga Sound and Vision. This kaupapa was all made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. <laughs>